All right, everybody, and welcome back to the Business of Fitness podcast. I'm your host, Jason Kleepit. On today's episode, we have Amelia Boone. Now, if you don't know who Amelia is, she is a total badass obstacle racer, ultra runner, and corporate attorney for Apple. Today, we dive into a variety of different subjects, including how has COVID impacted obstacle racing and ultra running? What has it been like for her to make a move to work remotely? And what does she think is the future of working remotely? Is it going to be around for a long time? Is there going to be a hybrid model? How is it going to work in more of a corporate America setting? And finally, we talk about overtraining. In addition to overtraining in the gym or on runs, what is that like overtraining and working too much also in your work environment, whether you're owning a business or working for a large company like she does? I really enjoy talking to Amelia. Every time I talk to her, I get super fired up. She is extremely intelligent, very passionate, very hardworking, and I hope you guys enjoy this episode as much as I do. Before we get into it, just want to remind you, if you have not checked out the NC Fit Collective, our session plans, our programming, our tools, if you're a gym owner out there and you haven't checked it out by now, we got to get you to check it out. Email us, collective at nc.fit, or visit our website. Now, I know my, ho- my voice sounds a little bit hoarse. I've been training a lot coaching a lot of classes, just like you guys probably are. And I can't wait for you guys to listen to this episode. Let's dive right into it. Let's get after it and let's go. All right. So Amelia, I think you and I met probably, I don't know, maybe five years ago or whatnot, when you had, if I'm not mistaken, a stress fractures and you needed to then use the skier to get a form of cardio. Am I right there? Yes, you are right. I had a a stress fracture in my femur and uh, the only, it was kind of the only way that I could get any type of training in was just pure upper body. Um, and so I needed a skier, which is funny because now I have a skier in my living room. So, <laughs> Oh, do you really? Yeah. <laughs> and and I, so you would come in and you would train on the skier again, and that's how we met. And then over the years, I got to know you a little bit better and kind of followed you, followed your story. And what I've always found fascinating for anybody that doesn't know Amelia's background, obviously I talked about it in the intro a little bit, but the fact that you're a corporate attorney for arguably one of the largest companies in the world, Apple, and then also um, have competed at a high level in um, long distance events, but also like these obstacle racing events and have had such great success there. And that blend I think is fascinating. So I want, I want to start here. Um, I want to talk about from a, from a work perspective at corporate America, because a lot of the people who maybe listen to this podcast, they're maybe in the smaller business, like, like we own, and they don't really see the same corporate, they don't have the same lens. So do you think that companies are gonna go back in person, like on a grand scale, or do you think this work from home digital world is here to stay? I'm, I'm curious your thoughts. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. And, and we have this conversation a lot because I think when everybody went work from home, many, most people were huge fans. Everyone was like, this is amazing and best thing ever. And then myself personally, it was great for a little bit. And then I realized, my like, God, I, I missed the collaboration of an office. I missed, 
you know, the human interaction, just the little things you take for granted, just like the water cooler talk or like seeing people in the bathroom, just those like little day-to-day things. So I really think it's going to end up being a hybrid. I think businesses are realizing, um, and it's completely dependent on the business. You see um, large tech companies like Twitter and Facebook who are saying that their employees can go fully remote. Other um, companies, you know, like Apple has hardware. So there are going to be people that are always going to have to be there in person, probably like dealing with hardware. Um, But I think that it's going to be a lot more flexible. People have realized like we can work from home and be productive, but most people really miss that office environment at least like one or two days a week. So kind of like come together, collaborate, have meetings in person, and then go do your own thing the other days of the week. Um, That's my prediction, but you know, who knows? Yeah. I mean, it's going to be really, I don't know what, what will happen either. I mean, here I am in the Bay area, the Silicon Valley is just full of different companies, as you know, just as well as anybody. And each company is going to have to take a different approach. But I think you're right. In the beginning, it was like, oh, this is actually really convenient and whatnot. But then what you realize over time is you do miss some of those personal connections and those that creative thought that only occurs through collaborative conversation when you're just like having a cup of coffee instead of like all of a sudden an idea sparks and then all it turns into something big and Something else I've been curious about, I don't know how you've experienced this from a, from a more of a corporate perspective, the, the, the individuals that you already had relationships with on your team, I imagine they're still strong because you already had them in person. You remember what they look like, how they talk, you know, their mannerisms, et cetera. And then all of a sudden you might have new people come on your team that you haven't met in person. Do you think that there's a difference between those connections you're able to make? And then what is your team going to do in the future about that? Like, between people that you knew in person, then went virtual versus new people are coming on the team that you've never even met in person. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting because I think luckily with technology and zoom and everything, you can see people, but it's just not the same. Like we have weekly kind of like happy hours with my team and whatnot, but there is that thing where, you know, everybody's on zoom and you get that fatigue and they're kind of like, you know, looking off, doing other things, trying to do work while also on the call versus just being there in person. And, um, you know, I, I think that I hats off to anyone who's come on new to a corporation during this time, because it is really, really hard to establish these connections. Um, and so I really think that it is just one of those things that, you know, I, I try and maintain very strong connections with all my coworkers. We're all in a text thread together and things like that. But in terms of like bringing new people on, I think that it's going to have to be coming back together in person to really understand people and how they work and like the cadence. It's just not something that you get over technology, in my opinion. Yeah, it's difficult. And so you you brought up briefly um, about these happy hours and I don't know exactly, I, I think different companies are doing it differently. For ours, what I've noticed is we have weekly uh, weekly staff meetings. And um, for our company, we have people that work all over the country, just like wherever. And oftentimes it's like reporting the news, like, hey, this is what's going on here. This is what's going on here. And then oh, what's going on? It's all business. So, And I want to try and do something that's a little bit more happy hour focused, a little bit more casual. I worry that maybe some people are going to get sick of it. But one idea I had was like sending out, you know, wine to different people. And then we all do wine tasting with somebody 
It, what do you guys do for happy hour? I'm, I'm curious, or, or maybe that's not the right term for it. Yeah, no, we we actually did that over like around the holidays. We did like a, a drink competition where we could like make everybody had to present a cocktail or something like that. And then we've done different games, um, things like that online. And I think a lot of people, I think sometimes you go into things, you're like, oh, like, I really don't want to do this and blah, blah, blah. Like I have other work to do, you know, like I'm, I'm just tired of being on screen all day, but it really does kind of replace that just those little casual conversations, like grabbing lunch with somebody and things like that you wouldn't normally do. And if anything, oddly enough, I think that I've gotten closer to my coworkers over, over this past year, just because instead of just kind of like being in our offices and doing our own thing, like, you know, everyone is trying to seek connection in some ways. And we're all kind of going through this great shared suffering in the world together. And I think that just brings people closer, obviously, you know, honestly. Well, that's a perfect segue, you know, shared suffering, you know, a little bit about that. Um, And so from a long distance running to obstacle racing, there is a lot of shared suffering there that occurs. And I've done a variety of different events that you, you, you finish and there's just like this kind of like um, unspoken bond because you went through something challenging together. And I, I'm sure you've seen, I know you've seen that. I'm curious in, in your non-professional career, your other profession, I should say, actually, <laughs> yeah. your the second profession, <laughs> your second profession. And, you know, because you've had sponsorships and, and different things there, I'd love to know more, you know, kind of pull, show us underneath the, the, the background of ultra running, uh, obstacle racing. Tell us a little bit more about it. Where is it? How has it evolved? And then because of COVID, what do you think is going to happen? I'm, I'm curious your thoughts. Yeah. Well, to start out, it's kind of funny. I think when, during the pandemic, everyone has, people have made the, people always were making the analogy that COVID is kind of like, or that the pandemic is kind of like a marathon, you know? And so just like everybody settle in and we always joke in the endurance community, it's not a marathon because a marathon, you know, when the finish line is, this is more like a last man standing race. And I've actually done two last man standing or last human standing races where it's pretty much you keep running circles on the hour, every hour until the last person is done. And you have no idea when it's going to end. And after Actually, these have gotten really popular during COVID. Really? It's like there's these backyard ultras is what no. they call them. Yeah. People have figured out how to do. Yeah. So I competed in this ultra called Big's Backyard, um, which is normally probably people from all over the world. And you run a 4.16 mile loop on the hour, every hour until everybody drops off and there's only one person left. So the winner this year did 316 miles, I think. Um, so that that was like 70 something hours. Does David Goggins talk about that book? Do you know? I don't think so. He has not done this one. So, but everybody thinks that he would be, he would be great at it. Um, but it is interesting. How many miles did they end up doing? 316 was the winner. So that was like 70 some odd hours. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, I, I did, I did 33 hours and I thought that was good. And then they did like twice that the winner. But what was interesting is that we only had, we had the U S what, instead of everybody coming to the U S to do it, we had 10 people here in the U S do it. And then other countries simultaneously all over the world also running this race 
And then we were broadcasting it all live. And so it was interesting because like, we were figuring out ways to do it with still being safe, you know, under like the COVID protocols. Um, and so it's, it's examples like that, that have just been kind of people come up with some ingenious ways to continue racing and to continue these events, um, despite everything going on. So, you know, these events, and you were talking, you and I were talking about this briefly earlier, obstacle racing, there is a quite a bit of touching. Um, Mm -hmm. now a lot of people wear gloves and, and you could have, but, for the last year or so, the Spartan races, the Tough Mudders of the world, a lot of those were canceled. Is mm-hmm. that right? And I know a yeah. lot of these marathons and even ultra marathons have been canceled as well. Yeah. And so, but I do think there's this newfound appreciation for outdoor activity. I mean, bike, bicycles, for example, are like <laughs> through the roof. You, you can't, you find, can't find, you can't find a bike. <laughs> right. And then running, I, I personally have just seen more people out, especially where I live. And so- what, what has happened to the sport of running mm-hmm. in the last year? And then what do you think is going to happen to the actual, like, you know, real events? Cause I know a lot of them have been yeah. canceled. Yeah. I mean, there were some that took place this year, smaller ones, um, trail running events have come back sooner just because they tend to be smaller crowds. It's easier to socially distance, uh, mass marathons, road marathons. Those are going to take a while. Um, and obstacle racing Spartan, there was a Spartan race last weekend. So that was the first one in, in a year. Um, and so I think they're actually running has exploded in popularity just because it's something you can do outside. That has actually been the majority of my social interaction this past year has been running with other people because they say like, that's like the one safest way to be around other people is to be outside. Um, and so I think tons of people have, have taken up running. Um, I think events like obstacle racing are going to come back like with a vengeance. Everybody's super excited for those to start up again. And the funny thing is everybody I know is super fit right now. I mean, and if you're not like, don't take this as like, you're like, well, everyone's super fit, but I'm not, but I have so many runner friends who are like, I am so fit right now like <laughs> because I've been like had consistency this past year and actually they've had a, like track meet start up and people are breaking world records right now. Like the athleticism is just through the roof. So I really think in the endurance space, we're going to like, this boom is just going to continue and it's going to continue for a few years after, after like the pandemic, um, recedes. I, 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 completely agree with you. I think that there's going to be this just flood of, of people interested in that because it got into it through, through being at home and not having access to equipment, for example. Mm -hmm. And so as, as you get back into kind of like the season, what does that look like for you? And then what does that preparation look like for someone like yourself who wants to balance the work and then also competing at the high level? Because if you're an owner of a business and you desire to uh, pursue fitness endeavors. I think that's really important because you could take that mindset of kind of like that working towards the goal here into your business, but it's tough. It's not easy. So, so what do you do with that? And then how far out do you start kind of structuring your plans? Yeah. I mean, I think that the one thing that I've realized by, by doing everybody that I compete with is pretty much a full-time professional athlete. Um, so I'm one of the the odd ones out that where I have another full-time career. And what I've just had to accept is that I am never going to run the amount of mileage, 
put in the amount of training that they are, are going to, um, because you have to factor in like the physical stress from training, but also the emotional stress and the mental stress that you get from your other job and things like that. And so I've always said, like, I'd rather be a little bit underprepared going into a race, but healthy <laughs> than like overtrained. Um, and so I just know that I'm going to be lower volume than some people. Um, and then, but it, you know, like, that's, that is the balance that works for me. Um, and so I actually have a hundred miler coming up in June, um, in Wyoming. And so right now I'm like getting into, I've got about three months. So like really getting into the meat of the training, but I really find for me, it's like first thing in the morning, get it done, you know, and then like, it sets my mind for the rest of the day. I know that, you know, five o'clock in the morning, but people aren't going to be looking for me. Um, and so it just is really, it's ingrained in me. That's just like my habit and my routine to, uh, to train and then do the rest of the work. So, so I'm curious from a professional perspective, you say that you compete against most men, women who treat ultra running as a profession. Mm -hmm. And I imagine when you say that you're referring to, they make some type of money from either endorsements, um, uh, event wins, mm -hmm. um, or some type of online program, I imagine would be the, the, the a lot of, role. a lot of coaching. Yeah. A lot of online coaching too. A lot of online coaching. And so yeah. I'm curious, what is the business side of ultra running? Yeah. And, and, and is that different from the business side of, um, obstacle racing? Are these like yeah. completely different worlds or are they all encompassing? So I kind of bucket them, but I know that's probably not fair. <laughs> You know, it's interesting. Uh, I, I, I've had a lot of insight into this just because, you know, I've had sponsorships and things like that in, in various worlds. Um, and in obstacle racing, there is actually decent prize money. Ultra running, there is very little prize money whatsoever. And so in obstacle racing, you can actually make a decent living if you keep winning races with like prize purses. Um, in ultra running, you're more, the, the professional ultra runners are pretty much dependent on sponsors um, and endorsements um, and not like, because there just aren't prize purses, but you know, it's not, there are a few people who make a really good living doing it, but the vast majority of people are supplementing income, um, through coaching, like online coaching is the big thing. And I mean, that's been booming since so many people are in running. Um, but it is, it's, it's hard. I mean, I don't think anybody is going to ha be, uh, it, it's not a lucrative, um, type of professional career, I suppose, you know, you're not an NFL player. You're not even compared to like a road marathoner. Um, you know, the, the, the type of income and sponsorships aren't there. Yeah. It's, it's weird the way sport works like that. I mean, I think it's based on interest, if I'm not mistaken, um, where if the sport has a lot of interest and it captivates a lot of audience and there's more income to then disperse, but maybe ultra running. I mean, cause that's weird to me that, that, um, uh, obstacle racing pays better than ultra running. I wouldn't, I mean, cause obstacle racing is newer, isn't it? I mean, hasn't been around as long, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's been uh, 10 years. Yeah. 10 years. 10 years. Wow. And yeah. is the, so and I, I think it's just really, uh, yeah, no, go ahead. Oh, Sorry. so I think it's just really just the models of the business, you know, because like, because in obstacle racing, like you have Spartan is pretty much Spartan Tough Mudder, the main two corporations, they can raise capital and funding, like to have prize purses. It, they're very similar to like 
CrossFit, for instance, whereas like ultra running, all these races are like independent put on by little race directors, like here and there. And, and I mean, the race directors have really suffered this past year just because like they're like, they haven't been able to put on their livelihood. Um, and the community has really rallied around them. And, um, like the, a lot of them have put on virtual races, which have become very popular. And so, you know, you pay money, you run the race virtually, you get a medal for it. Um, it's not, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of virtual races, but it's like, I'll do it to support the race directors. So there are races once this is all over, you know, for, for sure, for sure. And so in the last, yeah. you know, couple of years you've had, you've battled, um, uh, with different injuries, right. Which we've talked about a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I know that you've discussed pretty publicly online about your eating disorder and, and challenges there. I'm curious, you said you've never been more healthy than like your last 18 months. Was that primarily due to food or was it, was it your training protocols? And I mean, how, what have you had to learn along this journey? Cause you've been in the game for a long time and you've been yeah. a professional and what, what did you kind of have to come to like the moment where like, man, more maybe isn't better for, for example, or what, what not? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the big turnaround for me is I, I went back into eating disorder treatment in the spring of 2019. Um, so about two years ago. And, um, I think at that point I realized like I was for many, many years, I was chronically under fueling and, like overtraining and my body was just breaking down. You know, I had six stress fractures over the course of four years. Um, so I just, I was not, and I think so many athletes realize that it's like they, you can like sustain performance for a while, like under fueling. And then all of a sudden, like, you're just going to tank. And I think a lot of time now, like you'll like, now you're seeing a lot more of attention to relative energy deficiency in sport. Um, you know, and a lot of people are talking about it and which is great because I think that like for longevity, what I've realized, like if I want to do this for the next 20, 30 years, like I need to be fueling properly. And so for me, it's been all about, you know, increasing my, my food intake. And then also just being very smart about my training, you know, and, um, making sure that like when, if something starts to not feel right, I shut it down immediately instead of shutting it down a month from now, you know? Um, so yeah, a bunch of things. Yeah, that's such an interesting topic because I mean, I battled in, in, in some ways with this idea to like more, 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 like when I was really competing yeah. at the CrossFit games, you know, I feel like if I wasn't training hours and hours a day, like I was leaving room, room in the tank and I wanted to put in more. And I think for most people who compete at a high level in most sports, they don't necessarily need to do more. They probably need to do at times less and listen to their body more. So, mm -hmm. you know, for how long it went on for you with these different stress fractures, now that you're eating more volume and you're training less, are your times actually improving? Yeah. You know, I, I actually like, I, well, I, I can't really say, cause I haven't really raced in a year, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I am running stronger than I ever have. Um, and it's to the point now where like, I've just been way more consistent. Like I've missed barely any days of training for injuries in these past, in this past year. And it's just, you know, like, I just feel good. And I think that that's like, you know, the biggest thing, um, because like just to have that consistency over time, especially in endurance sports, that's so important to build durability for sure. 
that's a that's a really unique take on it because I think that you know take for example someone who's training they train really hard really hard really hard and they get injured and they can't train for three months yeah they're they're like two steps forward one step back and mm-hmm. instead what you're saying is the more the consistency piece and so the signs for you that you were over training or under fueling yeah. or or combination of both were was it the stress fracture was it just how you felt and then what type of like um aha moments would you share because some you know there's people listening to this podcast who are owners and coaches but they're also training you know they're, they're doing yeah. stuff and i think you could also relate this to your professional career a little bit where sometimes people go 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 and then they just they just break down slightly different but what were the signs for you overall yeah. i mean aside yeah. from stress fractures yeah i mean the, the big thing for me was stress fractures but in, in general um with overtraining and things like that what you're going to see, and I've had this happen before is just like your, um, if you track your resting heart rate, your resting heart rate will actually like increase sometimes if you're overtraining or like you, like you'll go out for an easy run and your heart rate will spike uncontrollably. And you'll, you'll just like, it's like a cumulative fatigue, um, that I think a lot of people feel a lot of people get into like anemia and like other, like their blood work gets all off. Um, but I think it is just this like sluggish feeling and everything feels hard. Um, and sometimes it's like, um, with running, like your paces will slow. And so then people are like, Oh God, I'm getting slower. I got to train more. (laughs) And then they're just digging themselves into a hole. And I can imagine, you know, it's, it's, it would be similar with like in CrossFit, if you're not, let's say like, you're not hitting your, like the weights that you're used to hitting, you're like, Oh, okay. Well, I got to lift more where actually the answer is to back off and rest and give yourself, your new, your body, like your hormones, everything to come into balance again, and then go back and hit it. But yeah, we all know, a, like we're all bad at rest. <laughs> it's so tough though, right? Because, yeah, uh, you know, it's funny when I was, I, I hear you loud and clear. Now, do you see yeah. a correlation between your training in the gym or outdoors or whatever you want to call yeah. it? And then in your professional career, do you see like that similar burnout effect happen? Like from a corporate perspective, or are we talking completely two different things? I mean, I think I definitely like, it is something that I, it's in a different way. It's just like the burnout occurs, like staring at a screen all day until like my brain isn't functioning anymore. And then I'm like, okay, I got to concentrate on this contract, blah, blah, blah. But then I'm just like making it worse. So it's almost like, okay, wait, time to go outside and take the dog for a walk come back in, regroup and get at it again, instead of just like trying to hammer through that over and over. Yeah. I, I, I could definitely see the correlations there with anything. And especially for people who are in the fitness space, who like to kind of grind it out, they could, they could always think this like more and more and more, but you know, sometimes less is better. And I think you're a great example of that, especially saying that in the last 18 months, you've really like never felt better injury free, feeling good and ready to rock. And so you know, moving forward in this year, coming out of COVID, you know, you moved to Colorado, you have a great training environment. Um, are you like setting your sights on any races in particular? Um, and then if so, what are they? Yeah. Yeah. I have a hundred miler coming up, uh, called Bighorn, which is through like the mountains in Wyoming. So that's in June. So super excited for that. Um, and then a few in the fall, it's all like kind of up in the air right now, like what's going to actually happen. So I'm hoping to travel overseas at some point late next year. There's a race in South Africa that I really want to do, um, down in Cape town. Um, but you know, it's all kind of, I'm just like, just keep, I'm keeping options open. Cause who knows, you know, um, 
Um, but I think it is, uh, you know, I'm itching to get back at it. It's like kind of daunting. I haven't raced in so long and you're like, can I even really remember how to do this? <laughs> I mean, getting ready for a hundred mile race and yeah. you're not doing it for the money. That's for sure. You have a regular <laughs> job. There you, is no money. You get a belt buckle if you run a hundred miles. <laughs> and so, you know, there's a lot of people and, and, you know, in business, there's obviously this idea that, especially as a gym owner. Um, I think people get started because they're passionate about it, but then, you know, money does become a thing. So you need to be able to provide for their families. And in your particular case, like you're doing these out of pride, you're doing them for, to, you know, test yourself and whatnot. When that starts to waver, what do you lean back on? Because I imagine there's correlations in business when things get really tough. You can't lean on this idea of like trying to get rich or famous. You got to have a bigger reason why you're doing something. So what are those things? Cause when you're, I mean, I don't know about you, but a hundred miles gives you a whole lot of time to think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately in the middle of the night, you went alone with your thoughts. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, for many, many years, I struggled with defining myself by athletic performance and defining myself by achievements and thinking that the reason that people liked me was because I was winning races or because I had this like successful career. Um, you know, it's, it's taken a lot of years and a lot of therapy, um, for me to understand that, like the people in my life who really love me don't care at all about that stuff. And that the number one priority for me, the thing that I fall back on is having a community and being connected to people and giving to others, receiving like, and just, and being involved. You know, the reason that I think that I love ultra endurance events is that aspect of shared suffering together. And you create those great bonds with people. And at the end of the day, like that's what fills me up. The most important thing in my life. The reason that I moved to Colorado was to like build more of a community to have that around me. And so, you know, if you took racing from me, if you took my career from me, like I would still have that. And I think that that's like something that I always kind of fall back on, like at the end of the day, like those connections developing, those relationships is really, you know, in, at, in essence, what life is about. That's a really unique, not unique, but that's a powerful perspective because I've been in similar camps, just like you, where you have your training group and those relationships are so incredibly powerful and you, you build them through that shared suffering. And it's almost, it becomes like family. And, um, that's really cool to hear your kind of like holistic reason why, you know, you, 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 you want to have that tribe and the tribe comes through this shared suffering. So I, I I'm always impressed every time I talk to you, every time I see anything from you and the fact that you can kind of pivot these two worlds and do well in both, I mean, is, is really remarkable. And the fact that you even have this like bigger, stronger, kind of like kind of defining characteristic of what you believe in, I think is really cool too. So if, you know, if there's someone who wants to kind of follow the Amelia journey, the, the, the kind of what you have going on. Cause I, I cannot wait to hear about your hundred mile race. I'm not going to do it. I don't want to do it with you, but I can't <laughs> wait to hear about it. Yeah. And you know, I want to watch you with your night lamp, you know, light, light lamp <laughs> on. Um, how can people stay in touch with all the cool things you have going on, especially in March uh, with this idea of women making waves at NC fit and it being international women's month, your great inspiration is so many, where, where can they find you? Yeah, you can find uh, Instagram. I'm arboon11. Um, I have a website, Amelia Boone Racing, and I I write on there. So I do publish blogs. Nobody writes blogs anymore, but I do because I like to write. So um, <laughs> fair amount of stuff on there. Um, but and so those those are the main ways. I'm on Twitter too at Amelia Boone. 
I love it. Yeah, getting that that lost art, a lost art of like blog posts is something I, yeah. I'm really interested in because it allows you to kind of get a little bit longer format, a little bit more detailed. And especially with your law background, you could probably write faster than I can. I mean, you could probably write faster than 90% <laughs> of the world. Just um. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. I like it. <laughs> I love it. Well, I'll make sure. Um, look, we'll, we'll add those links in the show notes. Awesome. And I just want to thank you for coming on. Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah and uh, inspiring so many people. And I hope that you and your tribe in Colorado go out there and crush the next race you have going. Thank you.